0: Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We're presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Matthew Penny is in the building. Penny, what's going on, man?
1: What is going on? What's new? We have uh, Marches March here as we've been alerted by all our college media brethren. A lot of conference tournaments tipping off, a lot of good games to end the season. So it's uh, the home stretch here of a good four or five weeks. I
0: love it. I'm so excited. I actually took, uh, last Saturday and Sunday off for once. I decided to like, no, I watched probably maybe four basketball games instead of the typical, like crazy number. One of which, by the way, was the crazy Riverside UC Santa Barbara game, which was fun. That was on bad beats, uh, last night with, uh, Scott Van Pelt and Stanford Steve. So that was an enjoyable one to watch. And then other than that, I kind of, I just read a lot of books like last week <laughs> like, I'm, I'm not gonna lie like i caught up on some reading uh i'm through five and a half books this year already and i'm <laughs> excited know, this, man.
1: A, yeah, this is an nba draft podcast people are like he's getting into the book club right now yeah. i have my books ready like i have one next to my coffee stand that's a really good uh cup holder coaster right now so <laughs> april 5th i think that's when we get back into books but yeah. not, not quite yet just a yeah. lot of basketball right now
0: I did that in the assumption that we're going to be rolling uh, for the next five weeks, basically, with just basketball on the weekends. So I'm excited, man. This is going to be a really fun little run of games next week. I'm sure we're going to talk about like conference tournaments and stuff. But this week we have a few different things that we wanted to chat about. So we're closing in on the end of the G league season Uh, at some point this week, maybe early next week. I'm probably going to write about uh, what we learned from the ignite, but uh, Matt and I want to talk a little bit about Jalen green uh, and Isaiah Todd particularly, because I think Kuminga has certainly been better than Isaiah Todd. There's no doubt about that, but uh, Isaiah Todd has turned some heads and I think Jalen green overall has been, I would say the most effective, maybe not the most effective because i think kaminga is pretty good on defense in a way that jalen green is still learning but jalen green has certainly been the most effective offensive player on that team would you agree
1: i would agree yeah and and they came out really hot now they're they're seven and five so the water has found its proverbial level a little bit right with jalen you're seeing more of what you're gonna get those first couple games it was a flash here a stretch here but now he's strung together a couple twenty-plus point games and three of his last five. His turnovers and assists have kind of eaten well, a little bit. S-
0: slow down there, Matt Penny. We we got to do the <laughs> intro here first before we get into the good stuff. Okay. The second thing we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about what Matt and I have dubbed the Malachi effect. So I don't know if people remember, but I believe this was twenty sixteen. Malachi Richardson didn't come out of nowhere to be a first round pick, but was certainly not. At this point, at the beginning of March, expected to be a first round pick in that NBA draft. And Syracuse made a surprise run to the NCAA tournament. He just exploded onto draft boards and ended up having to leave. So we're going to look at the guys that we think could end up being the Malachi effect players of this season. The guys who burst onto the scene in March, have their draft stock explode uh, not out of nowhere, but out of a uh, maybe maybe surprising, given where they would be at the beginning of March here, and end up having to leave college. And we'll talk about some way off the radar guys, and we'll talk about some guys that are certainly on the radar, but not necessarily uh, quite as highly regarded as draft prospects. The final couple of things that we want to talk about, we want to talk a little bit about Arizona because Arizona is done at this point, they're the first team with like real draft prospects. Sorry, Marcus Burke and IUPUI, uh, to finish their season this year. And they have Ben Matherin and Ajolas Tubelis, both of whom have interesting decisions coming up. And I kind of want to just break them down a little bit. And then finally, we're going to do the thing where Matt and I pick a couple of prospects that have gone flying under the radar this season. And, uh, just spotlight them really quickly, uh, and just kind of dig deep into why we're interested in them, like we did with Derek Alston last week. And who who was your pick last week? I forget, Matt.
1: You had uh, Champagny.
0: It was Champagny. Yeah. That's right.
1: Yes. So Champagny. Yeah.
0: Matt, let's uh, let's jump in with Jalen Green. So we're
1: back. Yeah.
0: Jalen Green has early on he looked tentative, at least more tentative than what we've seen him previously in. His basketball career, I think he was still adjusting to the speed of the game. He was still adjusting to the length of players out there. He was adjusting to strength. I wrote at the time that I thought Jalen Green was the player here that I would expect to get much better over the course of the G League season because I think that he is going to adjust to those things and his athleticism is going to shine through in a real way. That has largely taken effect. Like That is true in terms of what has happened with Jalen Green so far. What are your main takeaways with what we've seen from Jalen Green? And uh, I think it's pretty clear that he has certainly solidified himself as uh, certainly a top five pick in this draft, right?
1: I don't think there's any doubt there. I mean, I'd probably skew a a little bit higher. What stood out for me is he's using his dribbles wiser. He's tightened up using that eight dribbles to get to his move. Now it's a jab. Maybe one or two in a pull-up, which has been a lot better. He even stepped in for a trail of three off the break, and he didn't even think about dribbling. It was just like a catch-and-shoot where that just wouldn't have happened before. Like, he would just naturally have put it on the floor, taken a dribble, and try to throw himself in the lane and see what happens. And it seems much more under control. It's like he's bottled the good stuff we were encouraged about with him as a prospect— and just done it a little bit more often. And, and it may sound weird, but he kind of like looks and moves a little bit more like a pro, I'd say too. And I, I could be overselling this year because he, he still definitely has his lapses and you have to live with a four for 15 game here and there and roll with it. But the maturation of his game to me has been apparent. And I think that's probably credit to his coaches and the older vets they've put around him too. And him being smart enough to take what he's being told, adjust and then apply it to the next game.
0: Yeah, look, Jalen Green is like still 180 pounds, right? He's 19 years old. He just turned 19, I believe, while the bubble is happening or like right before the bubble happened, right? Because his birthday is sometime in February. And it's hard to be 180 pounds and play in a league the level of the G League. It's hard to be that size and finish, honestly, like as relatively effectively as he has, right? He's not like some crazy finisher. He's not an elite level scorer at the rim but he's a good scorer at the rim and he gets a lot of baskets out in transition he's knocked down shots at a high level he's hitting 38 percent from three a lot of those end up being pull-ups a lot of those are created three-point shots i've been impressed like the guy that i've compared Jalen green to throughout this process is zach levine i think honestly he probably has a little bit more upside than zach levine which is impressive yeah given that Zach is now an all-star and has morphed into what he has. Uh, I think that they're like slightly different. Like I think that Jalen is and probably always has been a sneakily better passer than what Zach has been throughout the course of his career. But I think that's the kind of player that you're expecting to get here. You can get a number one option on offense Uh who I think at some point, Jalen green is going to average, you know, well over 20 points per game in the NBA pretty easily.
1: Yeah, and the Levine thing is heavy praise, as, as we found out last week with that video, that he's an all-star, and he's averaging 29 points per game, and I don't think I'm necessarily as high on Jalen as you are. I, I still really like him, and I've kind of struggled more with the Kaminga shooting translation when Jalen, it's, okay, Like now he's, he's really creating within the flow of the offense. He's understanding... The more nuanced things of coming off a ball screen, maybe inside out dribble one step back and pulling up and not, okay, I'm going to take a dribble here, pull it back out, reset, go one on one and see what happens. It's more of a, an NBA style attack.
0: Yeah. There's, there's patience there. There's poise now. Like early on, there were a few moments where he would just take shots like. Out of the rhythm of offense, right? And that happened, and that's okay. Now, he seems to have a better understanding of what a good shot is. He seems to have a better understanding of just slightly how to get these rim protectors just a little bit off balance. He's going to have to keep improving there, but it's worth noting that he's shooting 58% uh, around the basket. During his time in the G league, like that's an impressive number for a kid that is as skinny as he is and, uh, is as young as he is. So I, I like what I've seen from Jalen Green on offense. It's still worth noting he's very bad on defense. Like he's very bad on defense right now. Uh, they're giving up a 108.6 offensive rating when he is on the court. That's a really bad number for. (laughs) Uh, What this team has shown defensively so far. So I I don't really love what I've seen from him at the point of attack. I don't love what I've seen from him in terms of engagement levels defensively. But like, I don't want to say I don't care because I certainly do. And I think that ultimately it is why, despite the fact that I think he's had a better bubble experience than Jonathan Kaminga. Like, I think he's been a bit more impressive than what we've seen from Kaminga uh, on offense, I'm still going to have Kaminga ahead of him because I think that Kuminga at 6'6", 6'7", with his long arms and with some of the things we've seen from him defensively, rotationally, I, I just buy that guy being a bit more valuable in a winning situation than I do Jalen Green, where I think Jalen Green's going to have to find the right spot uh, and find the right players around him. Uh, in order to, especially early in his career, allow him to grow and develop defensively. Because I think that that's going to be a real process. The offense is coming along faster than what I thought, even. The defense is going to be a real project for Jalen Green, I think. And that's okay. That's like not an enormous deal. And I still think, you know, I, I would have him, you know, somewhere like three, four, five on this draft
1: board. And if you have that guy three, four, five, and we're, we're saying maybe he's Zach Levine, a little bit of Zach Levine light, it shows <laughs> how strong the top of this draft really is. I love Kaminga. And then he shoots from three and I'm like, just hit like a few more of these. So I can like put you hard at, at, at number two on the board. Like that's the only hang up yeah. for me. And the defense has been good and he's still rotating. He's still blocking shots at the rim, cutting guys off stunting. Like he seems further ahead with that and offensively it's just can he get that three point percentage up because if not it's does he become kind of more of a a small ball five what we've talked about and yeah he can add more to winning maybe immediately on the court but you're gonna have to surround him with more floor spaces as well where Jalen can create his own shot he can probably put up more points maybe he's on a team that's dependent on the scoring more than the defense so early on maybe Kaminga sees more time on the floor but Jalen Green scores more if that makes any sense.
0: Are are we at the point where Jonathan Kaminga's jump shot is maybe the biggest swing skill in this NBA draft?
1: I don't think it's a question for me. That's totally what it is.
0: Yeah, I think it absolutely is as well. Uh, If he shoots it, he's going to be an all-star. Like I genuinely believe that. I'm I'm at that point now. Uh, He's a legitimate two-way scoring option. And from what I've been told, he's a worker. I'm going to bet on that guy figuring out how to shoot it. Uh, I know the numbers aren't great right now, neither from the free throw line nor from the three-point line. The other sneaky thing is that Jalen Green has finished better around the basket than Kaminga in the G League as well. And that's even in half-court settings. These are not like, oh, Jalen Green leaking out to get these wide-open dunks and layups in transition where nobody's around him. Even in the half court, Jonathan Kaminga is finishing at 53%, Jalen Green's finishing at 58%. And these are small samples, but I think Kaminga has a real ways to go on offense. And this is, I think he can make an impact early in his career in multiple ways because he does play so hard. I think he has a good feel for how to move off of the ball. And I think he'll create shots whenever he's not, he'll create shots off the ball in a way that he's not really asked to create those shots now. Like a lot of what he does, does end up being, okay, I'm getting the ball, spotting up, I need to attack a closeout and make something happen and maybe take a shot inside the arc. Or, uh, oh, I need to isolate on this guy and finish around him. One place that I think he's actually been really good, I've loved the feel from Kaminga out of ball screens so far. I think he's been really good in managing those. Uh, I think he has a really good good pace and tempo for understanding how to kind of maneuver his way around those players so um,
1: and can do both can come off or set it and that's what the versatility is so appealing for me and you make a good point about the finishing thing (coughs) excuse me because if you go back and watch Moses Moody who we talked about a little bit last week a lot of his stuff is like, is those leakouts? Is those, yep you know, you're you're just leaking for a fast break. Here's a, a finish at the rim. Here's one pass, and he's already down low. Like, there's still the jump shot stuff to Moody's game, but his percentages go sky high because of the transition stuff. Whereas these guys are finishing more, maybe in the in the half court sense, if you would. Jalen Green and and Kaminga both really high upsides. I don't. We're not going to throw a cage shade here. At all at Cade Cunningham because he's still a hard number one and and now he had the forty point game and people are like oh yeah like that it makes sense he's one anyway and now if there was any whispers or talk of like the race for number one like let's just stop it now if the Kaminga yeah. jumper were ever there we'd at least talk about it is my guess I'm not saying he he'd be one on somebody's board but at least be more of a conversation
0: well and frankly if Evan Mobley like. <laughs> I'm going to choose my words carefully here. Turned it on. Yeah. Um Yeah. If he was more willing to attack offensively and be a number one option offensively, but it, it doesn't seem like that's the case at this point. And that's okay. Um That it might happen for him later. It often does happen with bigs later in their career. I, I still think Evan Mobley is a hyper elite prospect, but yeah, this isn't a race for number one. It's Cade. It is what it is. And, that's okay. We can call this what it is. It's the Cade Cunningham show. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's the it's the Larry Bird three-point contest of the All-Star game. When he walks in the locker room and said, all right, who's coming in second this year? I'm like, this guy is the worst. Like, he, that, like that's his move, and he hits the three, has his one finger off, and walks off. Like, that right. that's Cade, and it's okay. It's right. okay. It's not a bad thing.
0: So, the guy I do want to talk about is Isaiah Todd, because I was certainly pretty harsh on Isaiah Todd to start the year. Like, that's hundred percent accurate and i'm okay with taking that right he's been much better than what yes. i anticipated from him he is much further along as a shooter than where i thought he was uh he's really seemed to improve there i'm st- in defense like i also i want to say something else positive too like defensively i'm there with him like i think he's pretty good defensively now too would you agree
1: uh be- better yeah better Better perimeter based defense stuff when he doesn't have to chest up to somebody in the post. Like, he's able to switch a little bit, hold guys. He is better there.
0: Like, I think I kind of mentioned the Scal Labissier thing on the previous podcast. I can't remember if I did that just in a conversation with you or if uh, I did it on the podcast or not. He moves way better than Scal did. Like he's not, uh, he's not a drop coverage big. I think there's a world where at some point, if he really hones in on learning defensive rotations and like really wants to be a positive defender, he could be a positive defender. Uh, he, he's still learning where he needs to be off ball. He's still learning where to play gap defense. He's he's still learning all of those things. But I think there's a world where Isaiah Todd can be a positive floor spacing big who is a mobile defender. Would you agree with that?
1: Yes. And shooting 40% from the field and and mostly pull up jumpers and mid range jumpers and fadeaways and one foot fadeaways. And
0: I'm, I'm so glad that you brought those up. (laughs)
1: Well, you got to give him credit, too. He hit a game winner. I mean, I think it went off the glass, but it was still a game winner. So he has played better, and we talked about it, and I think he was kind of like top 100-ish range, and now he's creeping up your board some. So he hasn't been – we were probably far too critical early on him. He yeah. showed more glimpses, more flashes of like, okay, this this guy is – a former five-star recruit out of high school. This guy was considered to be a better prospect. And that's why he was recruited, selected by this G League Ignite program. Specifically because they thought he could fit. And and when he looks good and he's hitting shots and he's switching and he's rebounding a little bit, you see it more. I don't think it's really there all the way yet because he'll have a great game. And then right after it's, it's like four points on two for eight. But he's done enough stuff where it warrants us being
0: more positive. positive. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And look like I have him as a top 70 guy now. Like I did not have that previously. Um, he's like pretty close to like 60s right now. There's a world where he ends up in my top 60 and I did not think that would happen. Now, why is he not higher? Because he takes a ton of these bullshit pull-up jumpers that...
1: I'm saying it as a positive, and you're like, no, that's wrong. Yeah. No, they're they're bad
0: shots. Like, they're really bad shots. And then on top of it, he's a terrible finisher at the rim. Yes. Like, really, really bad. So, so far, he's made 35% of his shots at the basket in half-court settings. That's one of the worst numbers in the G League so far. He's also not a passer. Like, me, me making that joke on Twitter, like, I wasn't, like... You know, I was probably being a little bit too glib when I said like, hey, uh, Isaiah Todd got some shots up, but like, that's what he does. He gets shots up <laughs> like every time he's on the court, he's taking a ton of shots like Isaiah Todd right now is playing 22 minutes a night and taking 10 shots uh, in those 22 minutes. That's a lot of shots for a player who is like six foot 10, not really a creator right now, um, not really. Like You want him as like your fourth option offensively, and he acts like a second option offensively when he's on the court, um, who can't finish and who takes a bunch of mid-range jumpers. And on top of it is a bad passer. So there, there's a lot missing here, I, I guess, is where I'm at. Like th- This is what we've seen from Isaiah Todd throughout the course of his career, just with an elevated skill set now that gives him a better chance to play in the NBA. Like, I, I'm really excited that he's worked on his skill set. He needs to work on the decision-making aspects of his game because that's what's going to tank him at this point. If he doesn't make the NBA, it's going to be because he makes bad decisions, not because there isn't enough talent there. I'm actually, like, a somewhat believer now in him having enough talent to make it.
1: And believes in it himself when he hits a, a, a game winner and we will laugh and joke about it. But, like, he had the, the gusto to actually take it. And are yeah. happy for the kid in that sense. I, I just when I'm watching it, he I still think he gets drafted somewhere. Like I know it's like such a such a broad strokes thing. He gets drafted. Thanks, great insight. <laughs> but <laughs> somebody will see the six ten. We'll see the the jump shooting. Okay, forty percent from the field. He does some stuff here. Probably, regardless of where he goes, he's back in the G League for some time next year. That's no shade at all there either. And it's like it's going to be this weird thing when. He's playing for Santa Cruz and and lacing him up against the G League Ignite team that he was on a year ago. Like, I I just wonder how the optics are for him and for the league of, like, oh, we're back here again.
0: Right. No, I think that's definitely right.
1: Um, And if it stunts his development, too. If it's like, well, I thought I was going to be in the NBA, and now I'm back down here. i got to work my way up. Despite I saw the stat the other day. Like, 45% of the NBA spent time in the G League. So, the whole narrative about it being, like, a demotion doesn't really stick as much anymore it's really good basketball and there's a lot of good players there that have been called up and probably will be shortly
0: no that's definitely right okay do you have anything else you want to say on the g league before we get out of here
1: no that's that's a good cover i'll I'll just say as a a blanket statement i I think it's been really great and the program has worked out better than i thought i'm glad the the bubble actually happened and, and we get 15 quality games of uh evaluation that we normally Wouldn't get if these guys had gone straight to high school, straight from high school to the league. Yep.
0: Okay. Let's take a quick commercial break. And then we're going to jump back in on our thing with the Malachi effect. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP hackers and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all gonna get blocked. It's like having a shop blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're gonna get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to NordVPN.com slash GameTheory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y to claim your account. Plus, With Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash gametheory to claim your account, nordvpn.com slash gametheory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord, and it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash gametheory. Okay, we're back. Matt and I have wanted to talk about this uh, for I feel I feel like we've mentioned it in passing, but we finally came up with a good name for it uh, with the Malachi effect. And we know that Malachi Richardson did not necessarily work out well in the NBA, but we don't necessarily mean this is a negative when we bring this up right we just purely mean this as guys that we think could come relatively off of the radar and become real nba players that work their way into first round picks uh over the course of this next month where are we at on this whole process and how the ncaa tournament often creates uh an effect that results in evaluators overvaluing one month of basketball.
1: It's hard because you never want to tune in a one game. And and people will tell me sometimes when I hone in on a game or two, like, oh, this guy was four for his last eight from three. It's like, you can't do that. It's like, well, everybody else does. Like, there there's enough draft picks where guys are taken a little bit too early because they build on a, a great NCAA tournament run. And we've already kind of eliminated a big chunk of guys who could benefit from this, even if they're like, projected first round picks we're not getting jalen johnson we're not gonna get bj boss and turns clark the arizona state guys like there's a lot of guys that are already off the list from the jump i don't know this year and there's always somebody i don't know if it's like somebody completely off the radar but maybe more so somebody who's in like the 40s or 50s who can work their way into maybe the back end of the first round
0: okay so Let's let's dive in with some names, because I think that there are some interesting ones that really could use the month of March to crash the party of being a first-round pick, right? Who is the first name you want to give? Because I thought your first name uh, was an interesting one.
1: Ooh, I don't even know. Why don't you say who my first name was? Because I have, like, three of them I want to talk about.
0: Okay, so you, your first name was Trey Man.
1: Trey Man. He was first yeah. on the list.
0: And, yeah. and so- Trey Man, by the way, is a guy that I've had as a first-round pick previously. Um but has not been quite as good through the middle course of this season and is worth noting because I think that, you know, he, he's not quite as far on the radar as he was.
1: Yeah, he was, was kind of off it, then popped on it, then off it. it, it it's been this weird kind of roller coaster. He's still averaging 15 points, six rebounds, three assists per game, 43% for the field, 40 from three, 81% for the free throw line. As good size at 6'5, he probably grew a little bit in the offseason. Athletic, the three point shot, I mean, the numbers are okay, but it's kind of been up and down. His last two games, he had 21 and 8 against Kentucky on 11 shots, so very efficient. Then he had 19 points and 13 rebounds against Auburn on 14 shots. He's getting into the lane. He had no fear of finishing over guys like Isaiah Jackson. He really got it going late in that game, playing up from mid range does have some of that like narrow stance to his shot, but you can see the potential for a team to think that he could have this instant offense type of game off the bench for I don't know. I don't want to say a, a playoff team, but I'd say later in the first, early in the second round.
0: Yeah, so Trey's interesting in terms of what we've seen this year and Florida's in a really interesting spot as well. Our uh buddy Joey Brackets over at ESPN has florida is a seven seed right now they're 13 and 6 9 and 5 in the sec have some interesting wins like they've had some pretty strong results like they absolutely dominated auburn um in a game they have i believe beaten west virginia if i remember correctly right
1: sounds right i don't have the schedule right in front of me but yeah
0: um who, who else they have a couple they have a couple other like pretty though they murdered Tennessee that's the other one that I'm thinking of they uh, absolutely demolished Tennessee by like 25 points uh in a game that uh some uh, someone else didn't even play in like I think Castleton didn't even play that game and they just destroyed them so this is a team that you know they've won their last three and is I don't want to say peaking late but could be peaking at the right time of their season uh now that they have maybe adjusted to the new normal of not having Keontae Johnson on the court. Uh, That uh, unfortunate incident with his heart, I think took some time to adjust to mentally and probably took some time to adjust to in terms of what was happening on the court because of how important he was to them. So I think Trey Mann's a really good pick here. Like I think you could tell me Trey Mann like explodes to be like the 15th guy taken in this draft.
1: (sighs) Yeah, there's, there's that no man's land, that 6-20 yeah. to 20 space, and if maybe people start selling themselves on, like, does he have some Anthony Simons to him? Like, he's a little bit bigger, he's getting a little bit more athletic, he's confident in, in getting to his spots and pulling up. I, I'm not a, as high, I just want to be clear on that, but this is more of just, like, the snapshot of, like, this is a, a, a prime candidate to do it because they are peaking at the right time, they're winning some games. You're going to have a lot of eyes on the SEC tournament with yep. what I mean, there's a, a litany of guys, but the whole Alabama team, the couple guys from Tennessee, you mentioned like it, it's certainly gonna be the a, Kentucky guys. Yeah, I know, because like they might not play after whatever, two weeks from now. Right. So it, it's going to be an elevated stage even more so now uh, for for the conference tournaments.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to watch Trey man. So I will give you. Another one who is more in like that middle of the second round area as opposed to someone that is like coming way off the radar. And I have a couple names that could come like way off the radar. So the next guy I want to bring up is Aaron Henry. Uh, Aaron Henry has been just monstrously good up until that Maryland game, uh, in recent weeks. So prior to The Maryland game over the weekend Uh, over his previous eight games, Aaron Henry had averaged 19 points, five rebounds, four assists uh, with only two turnovers over a steal. Almost a block and a half per game while shooting 45 percent for three. But more than that, he was playing like super attack oriented basketball and was really uh, driving uh, Michigan State's offense during this stretch where, I mean, at one point they won five of seven games while playing in the Big Ten, including wins over Indiana, Illinois and Ohio State. Three of the teams, uh, you know, with Indiana, they were competing against Indiana to be on the bubble and Illinois and Ohio State, we think are going to be top two seeds. So really, really impressive stretch from Aaron Henry because of that attack mode that he's been in. If he can lead Michigan State here from the depths of almost being off of the bubble at one point, right? Like oh yeah. W- when they lost to Iowa, um at the beginning of February. I mean, this was a team whose best win, I mean, what was it, Duke? At that point?
1: Yeah, probably. I mean, they lost four in a row, and he I don't know if it was the time they did it, but when coaches was trying to shake stuff up, like he was benched. Like he came off the bench to kind of have a wake-up call and, and he said in articles and they kind of had their back and forth last year that was I don't know how to put this but uh it was discussed heavily on on sports media sports radio and, and he said he liked being coach hard and he's taken to it he's was great defensively uh, against uh Dasunmu from Illinois and and if you piece together three wins Obviously he's I'd argue the catalyst for it and the Maryland game was surprising because it was like, Okay, you're you're building all this good momentum as a team as a prospect, then you kinda lay an egg a little bit. It always comes back to the jump shot for me. I mean, to to be shooting twenty seven, twenty-eight percent at six foot six, like that that's gotta go up in order for him to to jump. And and I think I had him late first, the first mock draft we did, or like thirtieth. I've seen him as low as like the middle of the second round where he nets out could be dependent on kind of how Michigan State ends this year too.
0: Yeah, totally agree. I think he's an awesome defender, by the way. I just want to be yes. like clear about that. I think he is a fucking phenomenal defender. And it's weird to me that in that vein, multiple times over the course of his career, like Izzo is like hard on him. And it's always struck me as like a very loving relationship, which is why like the stuff last year, I was kind of, I don't want to say turned off by, but I, I was just like, Hey, let's maybe learn a little bit more about the relationship there. Like what is Izo trying to get out of him? Like, Hey, maybe, maybe don't do what Izzo did in, uh, right, in the right. middle of a game, but also let's maybe not. all make this more than it was kind of deal. So I'm very, Interested in Aaron Henry at this point, especially if this new like aggressive attack mode, Aaron Henry, where even in the Maryland game where he was not very good uh, on offense, at least he still took 16 shots like he he really wants to be their guy now. And this is the first time in his career where I've gotten the impression that he is jumping into that role like feet first. You know what I mean? Like this is his team now and he wants to be the guy that, you know, wins and losses revolve around, right?
1: Which we thought would be early in the year, and he had that great game against Duke, and it's like, okay, he's the leader. There's other pieces around him, but, like, he's going to be the guy. Then he mellowed out, and, and now he's back, and he's saying all the right things in, in press conferences and post-game, and he wants to be the, the person known for pulling Michigan State back into the right column and the winning column, and all we've heard all year is how the Blue Bloods are dead, and, and now there's this revitalization problem project between them and and Duke's coming on a little bit and Kentucky's kind of faltered but uh it's still as as a prospect I'm I wish I could see more like the the defense is what definitely sticks out to me but offensively even like the turnovers you want to shore that up a little bit too from from the wing position I do like he can guard multiple spots out there but just need a little bit more from the offensive end he's been more efficient I'd argue too from the field but it's just When defenses give you space and the game, like you said, geometrically is different in the NBA, like you're going to have to be able to hit open jump shots.
0: So it's weird because like his catch and shoot numbers have always been pretty okay on Synergy. But when he takes them off the bounce, like he's a nightmare. So maybe there is a world where like where it's a simplified role that helps him in the NBA. But we'll we'll see. They play Indiana tonight, by the way, in East Lansing. So um, maybe we're going to look really fucking dumb. And he's going to play we're, terrible we're gonna, against we're,
1: Indiana.
0: Yeah. or we're going to look great because like, he plays yeah. awesome. So, yeah, um, you,
1: you, had, you had the Derek Alston call last week and I was like, yeah, I don't know if I buy the jumper. And then he had like a thousand points at a game and I was like, you know, walking to work the next day thinking about it. I'm like, you're such an idiot. And then the next <laughs> game he stunk. He started off like, you know, two for eight and we're texting about like the, the sets that they didn't run at the end of the game. And I'm like, all right, balanced oh, out, F- found the middle.
0: That was one of the games I watched this weekend. Yeah. I mean, holy shit. Like the level to which Brian Dutcher ran circles around Leon Rice in that game, like at the end of that game, Leon, Leon Rice, uh, look, like I don't mean to just annihilate the dude, but he, they got the matchup they wanted at one point, like late in that game. It was under two minutes left. Derek Alston has the ball. He's strung out San Diego State center and it's a one on one isolation at the top of the key. This is your, Mountain West conference player of the year in the exact matchup that he wants in the exact situation that as a coach you would hope for. and Leon Rice calls the timeout to to get away you from got, the set.
1: You, you got to run your sets. You run your sets. If, if he didn't call timeout he took a bad shot He'd be like, he should have called timeout. I do it all the time.
0: They, they might have but like the the proverbial <laughs> they might have but the proverbial they would be wrong. Like what are we doing here? You have yeah, the matchup you want. Right like right. Right. And then um Dutcher was, like, playing offense-defense with Shackle and Gomez and was fouling up three in, like, a really intelligent way. It was – Brian Dutcher is a fucking phenomenal coach. Like, it's more that Dutcher is an incredible coach than Leon Rice is a bad coach, but – Leon Rice did some things at the end of that game where if I had bet on uh, Boise State, I'd have been fucking losing my mind.
1: Yeah, I, I forget. I forget what <laughs> game was on, but like you, you texted something. I'm like, I can't believe you're watching this game right now. But
0: it was during the Kentucky Florida
1: game. That yeah, that's probably yeah. Yeah.
0: I, I chose because I hadn't watched um, San Diego State in a couple of weeks. I chose to watch uh, San Diego State Boise State over. Um, kentucky florida and then caught up on kentucky florida on monday so um anyway who's the next guy you want to bring up here in the malachi effect
1: yeah so this is like more of a a positive malachi effect and this train this hype train prospect train is is definitely leaving the station right now but i'm gonna go chris duarte from oregon
0: yeah i don't understand why people don't have him higher uh he's really fucking good at basketball
1: yeah, really good. 54% from the field, 44 from three, 80 from the free throw line. Has really good size at six. has a strong frame. He moves well with and out the ball. You don't really need to run stuff for him. He can create his own shot, and when he's away from the ball, he knows to go back door when the lane's open, can dunk. He has this uber confidence to pull up from three. He'll pull up in transition. He's incredibly efficient. He had 22 points last night in a win versus Arizona on 10 shots. Has instincts defensively. He knows when to jump the lanes. He's averaging close to two steals. And I, to me, like, the holdup, I think, is that people are getting caught up with, with his age, yep. which I get. He's He'll be 24 on draft night. And the whole story of that is, like, you have to understand, he went to junior college. Guys are, are generally older. He was also National Junior College Player of the Year. And this is this is like such a a cop-out shooter age thing but Duncan Robinson was 24 on draft night and like that panned out okay like if you're drafting 20 plus like beyond there it's okay if you're not swinging necessarily for the fences and it's for a rotational guy like I don't know how he doesn't find a spot playing 15 minutes a night knocking down shots defending rebounding a little bit in a pinch like uh, for see him in like the 40s and the 50s I I, I just can't make any sense of it and I, I posted this little video of him the other day and a, a coach in the conference is like I, no I get it like he's a hooper I don't understand why he's not higher
0: well and it's that everything he does translates to the NBA sure. like it's, it's a tailor made transition to being a great role player in the NBA like look he might be Like a, a fourth, like guard slash wing, right? But I don't see it getting much worse than that, right? Because he is six foot six. So he has real size. He's a great defender. Like he's a very good defender on the perimeter. He's going to make the all conference team. Uh, you ask any coach. They will t- In that league, they will tell you he's a really, really good defender. I would be surprised if he's not all-conference defense. I think he was on honorable mention all-conference defense. But as we've talked about on this podcast before, the Pac-12 voting for all-defense tends to get a little bit fucked up.
1: Um, <laughs> we can't, we, you can never mention Pac-12 defense without bringing that back to Andiaka. But keep going.
0: Yeah. Um, really efficient as a decision-maker. Can score from all three levels, but doesn't push it, like you said. Um just a ridiculous shooter like off the dribble off the dribble or off the dribble on the dribble um w- whatever whatever you're looking for he can knock it down off the catch he can catch jab step take two steps behind the back step back jumper like right in sean miller's face last night like he did like, it was <laughs> and sean miller just like looked at him and what smiled it was I. unbelievable He <laughs> was just like what the, f- how the hell do i stop this okay, um it, there's a lot of Derek white here to me um it seems that's the direction that this goes Derek white and duarte can create like very similarly he's not quite as good of a passer as Derek white was but Derek white was a really good defender of colorado knocked down shots was six foot six came from that weird funky background where i think Derek white was even like division two and then transferred two player, yeah yep, yep. um th- this is that all over again i think and i think people are just way overthinking things with Chris Duarte in the way that his game translates to the NBA. Um, I had him, I think at 31 on my board recently. I think I'm too low. I think he's like very clearly a good option after you get past 20.
1: Yeah. And I'm not ageist either, but you, you do think about it. You're like, okay, he is 24. I just looked it up. We're right here on the air. Corey Kispert, happy birthday, Corey Kispert. He turns 22 tomorrow, but it's like, okay, he's 22. And we're not like hesitating saying like, yep, he's twelve. But this guy's 24, has production. I mean, he's not shooting quite as well as, as Kispert. The team's having quite the success, but it's not like this huge gap was four years oh, of an it, age difference. It's either.
0: close with Kispert. Like, yeah. in do- doing it against better competition than Gonzaga has recently, although, you know, over the course of the season, Corey Kispert has proven that he can do it against great competition. Um, I think Kispert, I looked earlier, is like 55.6, 46.8, and probably like 87
1: yeah 88 or something yeah around there yeah
0: i mean duarte is at 53 6 44 180 like
1: yeah and- r- ridiculous and, and it's like just starting to pop up with with other draft stuff the the buzz that he's been doing but he it has been consistent all year i mean yeah. I, I think he's he's created his own shot a little bit better and, and has been more efficient this last season and the Pac-12 is just funky because there's been like some forgotten teams out there like even we'll talk about Arizona here in a little bit like not a lot of people have have watched them beyond normal Pac-12 fans so I right. think a lot of people are missing out on a good show in uh in Oregon
0: do we think that Duarte or Evan Mobley wins that conference player of the year award I think it's going to be one of the two right
1: mm-hmm. yeah um well USC sputtering a little bit here at the end it's like when did they do the vote
0: yeah um Good question. I, I would av- I'd imagine yeah. it's like on Sunday and Monday and then they count the votes real quick. Um, I-, I would not be stunned if Duarte wins it. Uh, I, no, think, I, would, I, would I think I think Evan good. Mobley should win it to be clear. Like Evan Mobley's the whole reason USC is good. Right.
1: Right. Well, it's like player of the year versus MVP, like the world famous debate. Like, was he the best player or the most valuable? But I think it's technically dubbed player of the year. And I I believe Kispert won it today for the WCC. So, like, those things will be rolling out soon.
0: Yeah. By the way, shout out. Shout out me.
1: Shout out you. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I love that. Like the retweeting yourself. Like, here, I called this two years ago. What's going on? By the
0: way, I called it like four years ago. I just couldn't find the tweet for it. Um, Yeah. Corey Kispert, WCC player of the year. Um immediately upon him getting to campus it was like oh yeah this guy's gonna win that award at some point um shout out Corey kispert love it um the next guy i want to bring up for the malachi effect is someone that's like a little bit off the board right now that i ranked at 70 and i think i was low on um isaiah livers has been really good this year and the thing that i think he's been really good at that i did not anticipate was defense i didn't really love him on the defensive end last year i thought he was slow-footed i thought he was really going to struggle to keep up with nba talent on the wing i still have some of those concerns but like he's very clearly like right in the same ballpark as jordan mora right
1: in terms of what defensively
0: i mean overall talent i think like, he's a 46% Ooh, three point one. shooter who's yeah. about the same size. Wara's probably more explosive vertically. I think Livers is better defensively than Wara is. Like, he just has better instincts. Yeah. He gives better effort. Like, he's, I mean, there's a reason that their defense is as good as he is, as it is. And like, I think the biggest part of that is Franz Wagner, right? But. I mean, Livers is a pretty good defender.
1: No, oh, he is a pretty good defender. But the the swing set for me there is the jumper. Like the to shoot forty six percent from three right. at six foot seven. Like that's the thing that's going to get you on the floor of the NBA. And one thing we we haven't talked about like super extensively either is that how much does winning and being successful and being part of one of these super teams, be it a Gonzaga, a Baylor, a Michigan kind of increases your nba stock because everyone else around you is playing well you're getting 12 16 20 points per game within the flow of the offense and yeah oh yeah ps we're going to be a one seed and, and now we're two in the country it's like how much is that playing to him and well, even a guy like davion mitchell too
0: well and it's just getting the spotlight to yourself right
1: like oh, yeah, sure
0: even tonight you know we already talked about michigan state and indiana plays um doesn't illinois plays uh michigan tonight, right?
1: Uh, Yes, 7 o'clock. Yeah.
0: So just in the Big Ten, there are like multiple enormous games, let alone Baylor-West Virginia earlier, right? And who else played today? There are like a million games, I feel like. Um, Even like Duke-Georgia Tech, Duke has players that NBA teams are interested in watching Kentucky plays Mississippi. Everyone wants to watch Kentucky right now, Arkansas, South Carolina, uh, you know, Moses Moody exists, Auburn, Alabama. Does Sharif Cooper play tonight? Um, Alabama obviously has a ton of interesting guys. Marquette DePaul. Like people are still somewhat interested in Dawson Garcia. I don't think he should go pro this year, but there's some interest there. Vanderbilt plays LSU. Like, there there are just a number of games. Texas plays Iowa State. Texas Tech plays. Like, there are so many games to keep track of for NBA evaluators that you getting the spotlight on your own, like you do in the NCAA tournament, I think just kind of focuses their attention in a real way
1: yeah it drives me nuts though too because it's also so many hours in the day and so many games you can watch like I, that's why i laugh when you say like i took the weekend off and reading books and maybe it made sense because like we're just going to be reading stats and, and synergy profiles and, and box scores and trying to catch up too because there are so many games for I, I just looked it up quick we're on here war Nora shot 41 percent last season from three and, and Livers is actually better than that which i i didn't anticipate. I mean, I've watched enough of Michigan, but I haven't dug into the stats to see it was that high.
0: I will say this. uh, I'm more impressed with Wara's number being that high, just because Wara was at the top of scouting reports every single night for Louisville, whereas Livers, is like a shared thing, right? Like, you have to collapse on Hunter Dickinson in the post, and you have to worry about Franz Wagner, and um, you know there are some talented guards there at Michigan, right? Like, Livers yeah, is probably, brown, brown like, third smooth, yeah. on the scouting report, whereas um, whereas Wara last year was, like, number one and number two that you have to slow down. Right.
1: Face-guarded, double-teamed, right. showing different stuff, cycling in and out defenders to give them different looks, fresh guys at them. And, that, and that's why context of the whole thing is important, too. And and that just plays into everything we're saying about being on one of these better teams where there's not as much pressure to create. You can just reverse the ball, and you might get it back to possessions later. And, and Wagner is really good at that, too.
0: Yeah. So I, I would have Isaiah livers in my top 60 at this point. Um, I, I think I was too low and just where I had him on that big board update I did on Friday. Uh, look, this is a moving target, everyone. Like we're trying to keep up with 95 different players and it's hard at the end of the day. Um, there's another Big Ten shooter though that I think we wanted to talk about in this context, right?
1: Uh, yeah, that, that you are higher on that I believe a, a college coach whispered into your ear that you didn't know. Why he wasn't higher on your board and boards, generally speaking.
0: Yeah, uh, Joe Wieskamp at Iowa. I mean, I have Wieskamp as a top 50 guy, and I feel like I'm the only person that's like on that island right now. Um, Joe Wieskamp is an unbelievable shooter, and it's not just like, okay, he's taking open spot up shots off of Luca Garza post up, post ups after defenses collapse. Like he's doing it off of movement, like he's doing it, uh, off of crazy screening actions. Like he's flying up and setting his feet quickly and shooting. Um, he can attack closeouts now. Like he plays with real toughness. The thing that I really like that um, this college coach also brought up to me was, I don't want to say that last year he could like get in his own head. I think that's probably a little bit unfair, but I think that if the first shot, second shot didn't go in, it kind of led to him not playing as well. Whereas this year, there's just more consistency of approach. It's hard to rattle him this. Like you can't really rattle him this year, I don't think. And that says a lot to me about just the level of confidence and the degree of um, self belief you have to have in the NBA is really high. And I think I was a little bit worried about that with Wee's camp last year. This year, I'm not worried about that. Like I think he's going to go into the NBA and be like. I can do this. Like, I'm not worried. I think I can go in and shoot with the best of them. I mean, Joe Wieskamp is shooting 49% from three this year and he's shooting over 50% from two point range too. Like this is not just a guy that um, is only a shooter. He has been pretty good across the board so far.
1: And decent volume too on 127 shots. So 62 out of 127. And, to so what you're saying, too, like the bounce back ability has been good. I mean, he had three straight games where he was five for seven or five for six from three, which is ridiculous in wins versus Rutgers, Michigan State, and Wisconsin. Then Penn State, he comes back down. He's one for five. He's he's one for five and a loss to Michigan. You're like, okay, like you said a year ago, did we lose this guy? No, he, he hit some daggers against Ohio State, and he was five for nine from three. So yep. to be able to have no conscience as a shooter, too, is important out of context because – if you're in the NBA, and I think that'd be more of kind of like a specialized role for him, whether it's off movement or, or spotting in the corner, like you ought to be able to catch, shoot, finish, and, and not think about it when it comes back down to you three possessions later.
0: Yeah, no question. So I actually, like I, I think that where I have him right now is fine. But if you told me that in a month from now, Iowa has made an elite eight run and Joe Wieskamp goes off for 18, 18, 24, and 14 in those games and like NBA teams get super excited about him. Like they did with Sam Decker uh, a few years ago when Wisconsin made that run. I wouldn't be stunned. Would you?
1: No. Is, is Sam Decker the Malachi effect? Here, here's one for you though. Here's food for thought. Who gets drafted first, him or Luca Garza? If let, let's just live in the fantasy world of like, camp sure. has these games.
0: Oh, if we's camp like goes off, it's going to be we's camp. I think like if, mm. by if how he, many? Oh, by how many, um, 10 spots. If he would do what like we're saying.
1: Holy smokes, okay.
0: I mean if he would do what we're saying, like that's like going twenty five versus thirty
1: five, right? Yeah, Duarte's twenty six, he's twenty seven. Yeah. I mean it would have to be crazy and he is shooting five or seven from three every other night. So if he does that for, for three and four in a row, maybe it happens.
0: Right. And that that's what the hypothetical we're saying here. Right. Yeah, right. Um, right. Yeah, yeah. Right now, I would say it's like a 50 50 proposition in terms of who goes first.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm still I'm still hanging on to my Luca stock in terms of I think he goes earlier than people think.
0: No, I agree with you. Like, I think he's going to go earlier than people think. I mean, I have Garza at like, you know, 50 on my board right now. So I'm not like wildly in like I would rather take a shot on someone than someone like joel ayayi that can be a perimeter player who can play in a rotation and make passes and maybe shoot and defend at some point than get like an offense first center who's probably a backup center in the nba i'd just rather take the shot on what ayayi can be if it works out than take what i think is like a pretty sure thing with garza like i think offensively he's gonna be able to play in the nba um But that's me like that's kind of my draft philosophy. And I think that other teams and other evaluators do things differently. And I agree with you that I think he will go higher than where I have him for sure.
1: Yeah. He was a first round pick. Right. So it's like possible late first possible.
0: Right. Okay. So who is your last guy? Let's let's.
1: Yeah. Just just the last guy that that we've talked about and and had a breakout game last week. So this is probably like a, a future stock, if you will. But I think we should at least talk about Walker Kessler a little bit.
0: Yeah, I actually just like wrote some thoughts on him that are going to be coming out soon at the Athletic. So I'm uh, I'm intrigued to hear what you have to say about Kessler because I'm I don't know what to do with him. He's a very interesting player, though.
1: Yeah, I really liked him in high school. I, I liked him as this kind of like trailing, pick and pop, big with with touch from distance, and just hasn't really showed it this year. And the backstory is kind of like his whole family went and played at Georgia, so I like kind of thought of he would end up there, but he didn't. He's at North Carolina. There's a little bit of a a logjam of bigs. And if you just open up the stats and you see he's averaging like four points and three rebounds per game, you're probably saying, what are you guys talking about? But he was ACC co-freshman of the week last week. He had this breakout on February 17th where he finally cracked double figures for the first time. And then he goes on to do that in four of the next five games. Has a huge game against Florida State on Saturday. In 24 minutes, he had 20 points, eight rebounds, four blocks. Showed the soft hands. High release, finished with both. He stepped out of touch for his jumper, which which is kind of crazy. It comes off his shoulder a little bit, but he yeah. can shoot it. And he got to take with a grain of salt because a lot of it was in the first half against Balsa, Kaprivka, and Wyatt Wilkes. But then they switched. Florida State changed their attack, and they put Raekwon Gray on him in the second half. Then he just rim ran and, and scored off that. Still slight base, still needs strength. Struggled to finish through contact, but the way he was able to still get his points against Florida State was at least enough to, to show pause that like maybe rewrote off this kid a little bit too soon. I mean, he just had really two, three months of, of not much production playing behind Brooks and, and Sharp and, and those guys and and Baycott. But like, he's going to be a guy next year that will be one to watch for a lot of scouts. I, I hope that there's no Malachi effect and, and he has this, this run yeah. here in the AC tournament, but at least one to, to keep your eye on.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, I hope he goes back there, to be honest. Like, I think that it would be better for him to go back. But I, I posed this to just to, like in a conversation I was having with our beat writer over at The Athletic, Brandon Marks. Like, let's say that over their last six games, he goes for double figures in while playing like 15 minutes a night, right? Like in each of those games. And, you know, up until last night against Syracuse where, I mean, that whole game, I, I just don't even know what to do with those two teams Um, (laughs) for like (laughs) what what is Syracuse doing? Not playing Kadari Richmond zone. What is North Carolina doing at this point? Not playing Dayron Sharp over Garrison Brooks. Like there, there are so many lineup things with those two lineup, those two teams that just drive me nuts. Um, But let's say he averages like 15 points a game, goes for double figures in each of those last six games, you know, has a breakout game again, like the Florida state game and like, the ACC tournament or something like that. Yeah. Crazier things have happened than that kid,
1: like blowing yeah, that Collins draft played course. his way into it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like cr- absolutely crazier things have happened. And I don't know. I don't think he should go. Um, I think he's even farther away than Zach Collins was when Zach Collins went pro out of Gonzaga. Yeah,
1: no, for sure. Yeah. Man, but, and not a shot at Zach. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, I look like weirder things have happened at the end of the day. Right. Than Walker Kessler, scoring in double figures in 10 of his last 12 games or whatever and you know averaging like oh before that Syracuse game over his last five games he was averaging like 34 20 and five blocks or something absurd per 40 minutes
1: (laughs) yeah I was gonna say for what yeah he had like two points per game for the previous like 15 before that yeah
0: right just a fascinating fascinating player and I, I don't really know what to do with him to be honest
1: yeah, it, but there there are probably some NBA people that may say, "Here's a, a good big down the line. Maybe he's not the toughest guy, but skilled enough, and he was just playing behind guys. Should have been playing above him. Let's let's take a flyer." But yeah, let, let's go back to school. That, yeah. That'd be the the best outcome for everybody.
0: And, and I am going to tell you, like this Baylor game's happening. Another guy that we need to talk about in this conversation is Matthew Meyer. uh th- that is like a real. Conversation that's starting to bubble. Uh, Matthew Meyer has six, has eighteen now in this game. He just scored. Um, uh, has four steals. Like he's a six foot nine, you know, kid who can shoot and can do a lot of different things. If he explodes onto draft boards, I would not be totally stunned at this point because Baylor's just going to go far, and he has a shot to be that guy who kind of blows up
1: yeah good good size i have it on here in the background too it's a it's a one-point game love the the haircut and the flow he's able to just like be so creative and free flowing because the previous guys above him just set the table so well so there's also not any pressure necessarily for him to produce or do stuff right away he, he can get a little crazy and start his offense a, a little too early and try to dunk him guys a little too early but you like the skill level for his size and for his age oh, another one you, you hope he goes back but maybe if Baylor does go on this run and it, it's a situation where there's four of them who say like yeah we gotta go
0: yeah. And like, by the way, he's not young either. Like he's 21 at this point,
1: but yeah, Chris Duarte is 28. You know what I mean? I mean, just like <laughs> Chris Duarte
0: is <speaking>, 28. Like, <laughs> yeah,
1: he's, he's got eligibility left. I mean, but, I guess we all have eligibility left. I think we can go back and play now, but
0: let's, let's uh, just keep adding to Duarte's age throughout the year. Yeah. But by, by draft day, we'll be like, yeah, Chris Duarte is like 106 yeah. years old, but, yeah. uh, definitely should be a first round pick
1: a <laughs> yeah, rotational guy. Yeah.
0: Um, but yeah, Matthew Meyer, uh, Matthew Mayer. I, I forget how to say the name. Is it Mayer or Meyer? Uh,
1: I think it's Mayer. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, really interesting player, like six foot nine shooter who can create a little bit. Those guys don't grow on trees, obviously. Um, Long term, you could convince me that he is the guy with the most upside on their roster. I still think I would say their best prospect in terms of what the NBA is looking for is Davion Mitchell. Though.
1: yeah to a guy defender can, can kind of plug in right away uh we, we talked about his transfer too it just a, a quick thing on the age thing too i thought it was interesting this weekend that it was uh was the other night it, they did senior night at o- oklahoma state and they honored cade cunningham which i thought was was great because we all know he's not going back to school right and also mitch lightfoot who's going back to school again and uh i saw a great tweet from heat check CBB that said Lightfoot is older than the following players. Brandon Ingram, Bam Adebayo, OG Adonobi, <laughs> Lonzo Ball, Jason Tatum, Marco Foltz and De'Aaron Fox.
0: Uh-oh. Mitchapalooza is alive and well uh, and
1: Look, it's it's living the dream. It's it's Tommy Boy. It's like a lot of people go to college for seven years. <laughs>
0: Oh, my God. If people don't have, like, do you remember in um, old school they have the Mitchapalooza posters? Oh, of course. Like, that needs to be a thing at Kansas games next Blue year. Blue
1: Blitarski? Yeah. He's yeah. turned into that guy. It's it's great. Bill Self loves him. I mean, they were glowing about him in, in the postgame presser and stuff. And take advantage. I did two senior years. I would do ten if I could. I get it.
0: No, seriously. Like, uh, I had to write about Davion Mintz earlier this week, and I was like, Look, Davion Mintz could go pro somewhere and make money, but like you didn't get your year at Kentucky this year as like in terms of fun. Yeah, it wasn't like, it
1: wasn't the full Camelot experience, yeah.
0: Right. Like go do that. That's an experience you can't get back. And I do think that's more valuable than making like you know, fifty grand a year, which you're gonna be able to do next year anyway. Like you, you can't you don't want to miss out on that, I don't think. And it's easy to say that, I guess, without knowing Davion Mintz's life experiences at this point. But, like, I mean, you're in a two-year grad program. Like, oh, go have your fun,
1: man. Yeah, get your second year. Get your degree.
0: Um, Okay, so the last thing we want to talk about is Arizona. Arizona is done. Their season is over. Sean Miller announced last night that they're not going to try and schedule some of these weird, um, like, non-conference games at the end of the year. Arizona has... Let's let's say three prospects worth talking about in some respect. Uh, two of them particularly in Ben Matherin and Ajolus Tubellus. There is a third in James Akinjo that I think is like kind of gotten. I don't want to say unfairly maligned at times this year, but like I think that Jim Beheim taking shots at him, like as he left Georgetown last year, kind of. Clouded the picture on how good Akinjo is as a college player. I have some real questions about him as an NBA player. I don't think he really is an NBA player based off of what we've seen. He needs to be a little bit better as a decision maker. He's a good passer when he wants to be, but is not quite there yet. Uh, as a pure decision maker, the good news is he's like a 41% shooter from three now and has the vision to do so. Like if he would, he would be a great G League point guard next year, I think. Um, but go to Arizona again, where you can like really help yourself and hopefully improve.
1: Yeah. And uh, for a Kenjo, for me, he's just a little bit small, more scorer than facilitator too. I mean, he averaged, yeah. he turned it on at the end. He averaged 20 points per game over his last five games of the PAC 12 did shoot 41% from three, but just watching them, uh, I didn't, his finishing stuff. I, I don't know specifically what the numbers were, but he like watching the game struggle with size. And I don't think he's going to be able to do that as much. On the NBA level, so I, I think you nailed it. Probably some G League time for now, but has been better there. Has been better at Georgetown than people thought. People thought that that was like way too high initially, and he has proved people wrong.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm excited to see where James Akinjo goes next year. Like, I, I hope it's at Arizona. um I, I think he could be in the running for Pac-12 Player of the Year next year if he goes back. So I, I'm intrigued. By James Akinjo at this point in a way that I was not really early in the season because of how small he is and how poor of a finisher he is and doesn't really have a floater game either is the other big problem there like he's trying to improve it but it's not there yet I think that that's the next step for him he needs that floater game and he needs the decision making to come along okay the two like very real prospects that I think have like serious decisions to make um Tabellus and Mathurin. I'm assuming you like Matherin more because I also like Matherin more. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. We share the same brain. Yes. Yeah.
0: Um, okay. What, what do you like about Ben Mathurin?
1: Well, at, at, at six foot seven athletic two way ability. And I, I'd be like, I have to mention the tidbit from the athletic article that he's from Canada. We well, grew up in Canada playing hockey, which, which is very Canadian, but is also a quarterback, which is one of our favorite like subplots of the show. Like who else played quarterback in high school? Uh, I saw him play during his senior year at NBA Academy at the National Prep Showcase Invitational, so I knew him a little bit before he got there. The shooting is what's the most intriguing, which is interesting because... He wasn't necessarily the best shooter when he was with the NBA Academy team. It was more like getting stuff to the basket and facilitating. I mean, per Synergy, he's a 95 percentile. As a spot-up shooter, he's 90 percent in catch-and-shoot. He had 31 on 12 shots and, and 8 rebounds versus Oregon State in January. And his like ascension kind of coincided with jamal baker who was starting ahead of him gets injured is out for the year so he was able to kind of show more of this upside in production that he previously was just a few minutes off the bench still inconsistent i mean four of his last six games in single digits had back-to-back two-point games at best now with his feet set and not going off the bounce like he's in the 44th percentile when he tries to go off the bounce, and he just lacked a, a true in between game against Oregon last night. He was just neutralized by, yeah, he was attacked whenever he tried to dribble the ball. So, I don't even think he had a paint touch last night until one like quick post with three minutes left to play. Definitely a, a check back later guy for me, and I know somebody had wrote to us on Twitter uh, saying like, you know, we, we kind of had him too low and this was early a few weeks ago, but I think he's like 35th or so on your board right now.
0: Uh, let me look. I've got him at 39. Yeah. I think I'm probably high to be honest. Um, he should probably be more in that range of, Hey, this guy is really good. I really like him. He should go back to college. Not, exactly. not like the top 40. Like I have him. if I'm going to be real with it. um, very interesting player, very talented. Anytime you have a kid that's going to be six foot seven and is uh, this level as a shooter already as a teenager, that immediately piques NBA interest. I think he has long arms too. Like he looks to have really good yes, length. He does. Um Yeah. it It's just kind of a perfect fit for what the NBA is doing. He's a project. Like it's going to take time. I would happily take him like before pick 45. I think at least uh, depending on how many guys declare for the draft, like you, there's like a non zero chance that he could end up as like a late first round guy for me, but it's his ceiling is much higher than that. Like if he would go back and develop as a finisher inside, develop as a ball handler, um, get a little bit of that in between game off the bounce where he can at least be a threat to defenses. It doesn't need to be his whole game. It just needs to be like, Hey, If you close out hard, I can take one dribble and take an 18 footer like that shit helps. I, I think he should go back, but you could convince me that NBA teams are just like, look, you like he's he's a first round pick (laughs)
1: Like these guys. And and, and you don't know what's what's going on necessarily at at Arizona. Like you don't know what's going on with their uh, coaching situation.
0: Yeah. And I want to talk about that, too. Um, let, let's talk about Tabellis first before okay. we dive into that because I find that fascinating in, in a number of ways. But let's talk about Tabellis as a prospect first. What have you liked about uh, Tabellis this year?
1: Yeah, like his size, six foot eleven, lefty from Lithuania, forward. His twin brother is also on the team, and you can tell that Arizona must have really liked the Basketball Without Borders camp because him and and Matherin were both All Stars there. Twelve points per game, seven rebounds, is shooting fifty percent from the field, thirty one percent from three. He had 31 and 8 on 11 for 16 versus USC in January, and I think we were going back and forth like, "Hey, this this guy's kind of got a chance." His numbers haven't been great from distance, but I buy a little bit like the form and the touch and the the style yep. of play. Uh, he keeps plays alive on the glass pretty well, and he moves well enough to to be a, a pick and pop multiple offensive set guy as a big. But does seem to like fall over a lot in the paint. He doesn't really <laughs> yeah. hold his ground well. It's like he's always kind of like falling. A, a next year guy for me for sure. Uh, still has to put it all together more. Just just too many lapses and and doesn't always make the the best decision with the ball in his hands. But from that size and and that kind of like Euro style game of shooting bigs, so you, you see why there's some interest there for NBA guys.
0: So, yeah, from February uh, until the end of their season, he averaged 15 points, nine rebounds, and did so while shooting 51% from the field. He's a really interesting prospect. I think he's absolutely a fascinating prospect. I think you're right that he should go back. Uh, If he shoots it next year and, like, really develops as – a passer next year as well. You could absolutely convince me that this guy's a first round pick. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised by that at all. You could tell me he ends up again, like similarly to a Kinjo being Pactual Player of the Year at the end of the day. Like has that kind of upside. I think if things go right for Tubelas, whereas like with Mather and. I see him as a better NBA player than I do yeah. a college player. Uh, sure, Tabellus can be a great college player who is also an NBA player.
1: Yeah, no, I get that. That makes sense. It, it's more of a this guy has the look for Mathurin. He may be more for project, whereas maybe Tabellus has a, a better, I'd say, run of of games here in college. And if you just get more of that, like i'm not saying he's got 31 points every night but like the style of game he played against usc and it's 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 more like night in night out and not here's a game in january and then here's two in february and and one in in march like i watched last night hoping that was going to be an exclamation point to the season knowing it's their last game and i just uh was was nothing more yeah Yeah, yeah, he
0: he was was okay in that game yeah um I did, I brought up those numbers though, like 15 points, nine rebounds from February onward, just because like that doesn't include that 31 point outburst against USC. Like he was, he was actually like really consistent by the end of the year and was good. Um, it took him some time to get going, but once he did, I I thought he was excellent. Now, the thing that clouds all of this for these kids making this decision is that we have no idea if Sean Miller is going to be the coach there next year, right? Like,
1: yeah, it was, uh, yeah, last night it was interesting because people of Twitter who have all the answers, they were saying, is this kind of like a a goodbye press conference? He said, there's not a single player in our locker room that was here or had anything to do with why we're not playing this tournament. My heart really goes out to them. It's not been easy, but they, and we have really done a great job of getting all the way to the end. And now it's so much more about where we go from this point forward.
0: Yeah. and, And he was talking a lot about the future. Last night, which is interesting, but like he even mentioned himself, like he has to meet with their AD and president and like figure out what the deal is. Now, if I was, if I was Arizona, I would keep him, but like, I also don't really give a fuck about paying players. Like, <laughs>
1: like please, please. I think this is a different podcast. Uh, yeah.
0: Please allegedly
1: like, pay. Uh, we have like a, an economics national yeah, likeness and yeah. image podcast. That's for later. But yeah,
0: uh, p- please. All schools allegedly uh, pay players. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to throw allegedly in there a lot during this conversation because none of it is proven at this point. Um, Arizona is fighting it and all of, I just want to throw that context out there, right? Um, we are, if I was Arizona, I think Sean Miller is an awesome basketball coach. I think he's excellent. And it's hard for me to believe that Arizona, given what seems to be coming from the NCAA, right? Like we should anticipate that they probably get another year of a, postseason ban like that's what we think right
1: yeah i I, I would guess that and and their recruiting has definitely taken a dip i mean this last class knew it was coming all all good players i mean we just talked about three of them but not necessarily the caliber of of arizona recruits of the past they went strong on the international path with five guys they had two transfers but look the previous year the class of 2019 you have three five-star guys and nico Mannion, josh green and zeke naji who are all playing some level of nba basketball right now and The year before, you have DeAndre Aiden, and you're not going to be able to get guys of that caliber until the NCAA stuff gets straightened out, and and Kansas has had similar issues, but I get it for a a kid like we just talked about, Tubellis or Matherin, and that's still looming. It's like, well, I want to play in the NCAA tournament, or I want to play in the NBA, and you don't really have clarity on what next year is going to look like. And and for the recruits they're bringing in, they have three four-star guys, again, good players, Shane Noel shane dizoni and kj simpson but not the the normal like top 20 first round pick guys that they've traditionally had roll into the program
0: you know what though like arizona did better recruiting last year than almost any school in the country like i'm just gonna like say that by going out and getting to ben mathurin and kirk reese who i think is going to be really good he's just very named
1: after steve kerr which is amazing
0: yeah who um is very skinny right now and ended up having to like sit out the first part of the year due to some bullshit NCAA investigation. All NCAA investigations <laughs> are bullshit. I hate them all. Uh, oh. Oklahoma State's whole postseason ban is bullshit. I just, I'm out on the whole thing. Um, Arizona ended up going out and getting, I think a kid in Creasa who's like a high four star, uh, Getting Tabellis, who has been one of the most productive freshmen in the country and getting Matherin, who's a first round pick. Like, and plus they have Dalen Terry, who was really good. They have Bacho, the kid from France, who, uh, NBA scouts that have seen him, like mentioned to me, like has a very high upside, at least. Like, I think it's a little bit unclear on what he'll be. Cause like everyone was excited about Umar Balo at Gonzaga, right? Um, and it's just going to take time with someone like that, but I, I mean, I think they did as well as anyone in the country last year with their recruiting class even in spite of the restrictions that were thrown at them uh due to these NCA investigations uh these uh some people would call them self-inflicted wounds but again as someone firmly in favor of paying players uh you know
1: allegedly paying
0: players allegedly paying players uh <laughs> Well, I'm in favor of paying players. I don't need oh, allegedly, God. but Arizona allegedly, uh, you know, was involved in some schemes.
1: Yeah, they, they played the hand they were dealt, and maybe they yeah. dealt themselves this said hand that we're talking about, but they did go out and get guys who were just different from, look, Arizona's like always in the mix with three or four McDonald's kids every year. It's like their yep. final list is is Kansas, Duke, and Arizona, and UCLA. Like, there's just not, there hasn't been a time where Arizona wasn't in the mix for upper-tier Top ten guys in America. Now to go out and to piece it together, and you'd say in a, in a good sense with international guys and a couple of transfers and Jamal Baker from Kentucky and from uh, and from uh, Jamie Kinder who we talked about too. So uh, like, and,
0: and Jordan Brown was pretty okay this year off the bench correct. for them yeah. too.
1: Yeah. So it's like they they were able to piece it together here, and they're seventeen and nine. I mean it wasn't it wasn't great, but probably a better record than I would have initially thought.
0: Yeah, I think that they had a great year. I, if, you, if you're thinking about, you cannot be thinking about firing Sean Miller based off of performance from this year. Um, I, I don't even think it's a, it's weird. Like, I, I don't, I'm pretty, I, I would not fire Sean Miller. I'm just going to say that. I, I get that there are like real um, NCAA question marks here that you have to deal with in a way that I just don't give a fuck about them, right? um but at the end of the day like i think shot like you who are you going to bring in who is a better coach than sean miller is kind of where i'm at on this
1: i, I always feel that way I'm like if you get rid of a guy your athletic director better have a, a list in the the top left drawer of five five guys that like, are home runs five guys that are gettable and, and five like you know, oh crap we, we missed on the, the previous 10 i mean the name
0: and the, they're probably gonna probably miss here. on the previous 10 like
1: yeah probably I mean I would think and, and I have no insight here but like a guy like Damon Stoudemire come back home like I, I could see that yeah I'm not he's a better coach but I could see that as a possibility
0: yeah like I think Damon's really good I think he's a really good basketball coach the way he got the way he's got Pacific buying in that's a fucking impossible job in the WCC it, it is so hard and that team plays defense exceptionally hard every single night and those kids seem to love playing for Damon Stoudemire. It's highly unlikely he will be as good as Sean Miller, because Sean Miller was really good at Arizona. Like, he won how many Pac-12 titles?
1: I, I don't know if that was, like, a, a, a trivia question. I, I I don't know off the top of my head. He, he got, like, a little bit of heat because they didn't make a Final Four or whatever. But, uh, yeah, they're, they're always... The, toward the top of the Pac-12, if not the top of the Pac-12, every single season.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm literally counting the Pac-12 titles right now. I'm up to I'm up to three already, uh, four now in 2018. So like, yeah, even if you hire Damon Stoudemire, who is probably like a high end candidate that you can realistically expect, like Chris Beard is not leaving Texas Tech. I don't think.
1: No, take. I don't think so.
0: Arizona, right? Like, there's just no. You have Texas Tech rolling. You have this weird, uncertain situation at Arizona. Why would you do that? Um, I'm trying to think of like other high major coaches, right? Like, like Greg McDermott could be a name, but Greg McDermott, <laughs> with uh, with what just Tough came weekend. out, yeah. uh, yeah. with him Believe saying, well, a little rough, yeah, him mentioning he has to keep his guys on the plantation here. Yeah, maybe don't do that, Greg. That's bad. Please, college basketball coaches, it's not hard. Do not reference slavery or anything to do with slavery when talking to your players. Like, this should not be a tough conversation, period. Um, who else is there? Like, what other? I'm honestly trying to think of names like Scott Drew is not leaving Baylor to go to Arizona, right?
1: No, and, and like, look, it's a different conversation, too, because you don't know impending NCAA stuff. And like when Chris Mack took Louisville, it was kind of under the understanding of like a longer term deal because you don't know how long the sanctions are going to hit or what they're going to do and, and right. what we're witnessing now with oklahoma state is okay it's a postseason ban okay we're appealing and like we don't even know i mean we assume now that oklahoma state is going to play in the tournament and they're not going to be uh the real sanctions come down before them but you don't know
0: well but by, by the way the oklahoma state thing is total bullshit too because it's over like three hundred dollars they've postseason banned them because of Lamont Evans giving Jeff Carroll three hundred fucking dollars.
1: Are you allegedly.
0: Allegedly. Are you well they, they even like cooperated with this? So I don't even know that Okay, it's
1: so alleged. not allegedly.
0: I, I'm I'm not even sure that it's alleged. Um it, it's three three hundred dollars. What are we doing here? This is crazy to me. It's absolutely crazy to me. Uh, Oklahoma State like did not. This is not them cheating. You know what I mean? Like this right. was not them um, getting some advantage. Even if you want to go by like the bullshit archaic NCAA rules, right? Um, for them to get a postseason ban for this is just outrageous to me. In a way that is completely incomprehensible. So they're setting their situation aside, right? um maybe maybe the chris mack thing at louisville is a real a real way for a coach to look at this right maybe that maybe a coach could be like hey i'm in a good spot but arizona's upside is way better i, I don't know that i buy that like i yeah, think that-
1: possibly i mean they, they have the support they can't have it rocking i mean you do have the appeal of of the success that they've had year after year but Hey, maybe, maybe Coach Miller figures it out the next week. I think he still has a, another year in his contract and seems undecided. I mean, Twitter kind of thought it was the, the farewell goodbye speech when he was listing off player by player yesterday. And just saying how how hard and difficult the season was, which we kind of forget too. I mean, he said the trainer slept at the McHale Center for 25 days this year, maybe more because of how far he lived away and didn't want to miss the yep. 5.30 a.m. COVID testing stuff. It's like there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. And it was a, a tough year with everything going on in the world too.
0: Yeah, no question. Um, But what it does for these kids is it creates just an exceptionally difficult decision uh, at this point now. Like, I would implore Arizona, like, if if you're going to do this, like, rip the Band-Aid quick. Like, not only will it help you get into the marketplace quicker for a coach, but it will help you. It will help your kids make a decision with all of the information possible, potentially earlier, because they're going to want to know who the coach is before making decisions. And then on top of it, you're going to be, be in a better spot to potentially keep those kids by waiting. Like, I think we saw with the Olivier Sar situation last year, like, waiting does not do anything to help you keep kids now. Kids will just transfer, especially in this marketplace where they can hopefully get a uh, waiver. And I think everyone's going to get a waiver this summer to transfer to the destination of their choosing. So... I would just implore Arizona, like, for the sake of your kids, for the sake of kind of everyone involved, like, make a decision on this quick. Don't, don't, um, don't extend this process out because you think that, like, you, you need to think about this. You've had enough time to think about if you're going to fire Sean Miller for what he's done. Um, I, I would just hope that you have made your call by now and can figure out what you're going to do.
1: Yeah. And and like you said, the, the kids have decisions to make about the NBA, about transferring, about guys coming in. You have three kids committed already with, with the transfer market. going to be crazy. You're probably going to have to recruit more. So you're just doing yourself a disservice too.
0: Yeah. Um, all right. The last thing we want to do here on the podcast, we've already gone for like 90 minutes. Uh, names of guys that we really like uh, and that we're, we think have not gotten enough publicity this year. We didn't talk about the one guy I wanted to talk about in the um, Malachi section, Malachi effect section. So I'm, I'm going to jump in first and I'm going to say Moses, Wright Is my guy. Okay. I think Moses Wright's Awesome. He's averaging 17 and a half points and eight rebounds per game. 53% 53% from the field, 37% from three. Like he can actually kind of shoot it a little bit. He's a really active defender as well. Like really, really active defender. Gets into passing lanes. Really good weak side rim protector. I had him as a damn near top, top 60 prospect, despite the fact that, you know, his first two years at Georgia Tech, he averaged 3.6 and 6.7 points per game. This is a kid that was like playing tennis from what I gather in high school before he oh, started I didn't know that. playing a, basketball.
1: I, again, sucker for a good story. That's a good one.
0: Yeah, and like got to the point where he still had to figure out what he was doing uh, on the court basketball-wise through those first couple years, I think. But he's really blossomed over the course of the last couple years. He got a little bit of publicity early in the year when they played Kentucky and everyone thought Kentucky was good. And he went off. I think he had like 20 points in that game. But he's gone under the radar over the course of the last couple of weeks. I think he's like a surefire uh, all ACC player this year. He's Georgia Tech's best player. Georgia Tech is, you know, going to make the NCAA tournament. I-, I think he is deserving of that honor, and I think he's deserving of being selected in the twenty twenty NBA draft.
1: Yeah, and he's six nine, but it's the famous like plays bigger than six nine. He's big, strong. He'll rebound. He'll oh, bang. I don't know with with bigs. It's it's kind of like. As those second-round flyers, do you take more of a a shooter-type role that can be a two-way guy? But if you have a specific need there, like, not a bad name. And has turned it on lately, the last, I I think, week or so. So it's like he's building on some good buzz, too.
0: And, like, this kid plays, like, 36 minutes a night. Like, he's a big that can just run forever, man. Like, he is... I mean maybe maybe it's that like tennis cardio that he's built up over the years or something. <laughs> yeah, but,
1: tennis cardio. Yeah, it's um, the uh working out the Pete Sampras videos or something. <laughs>
0: but man, like he is uh he's something. He's a really interesting player that I think a lot of folks are sleeping on as an NBA prospect. So, uh, give me yours, Matt Penny.
1: Just, just a quick one. We we talked about it a little bit. Marcus Garrett from Kansas. Uh, I don't I don't necessarily think he's like the surefire NBA guy, but defensively is a game changer. He was great in the win against Baylor. I don't. I was talking with a friend. It's like I don't think he comes back for the you know the the extra year of eligibility or whatever he probably goes and and starts his pro career i think he was around like the the 40-ish range for a while he's dipped down because he is only a 30 percent shooter from three but there is value from his defense shooting 50 percent from twos from the year and can bring such a, a difference from that position where even early in the year when they're playing kentucky he he really shut down those guys and He's a scouting report guy where he knows, okay, that guy's a Eurostep. We got to cut off this guy this way. You know what you're going to get. The offensive output isn't always going to be there, but you don't have to worry about him as a a 6'5 defender who can guard multiple spots.
0: So, yeah, I really like uh, Marcus Garrett. Like, he keyed that upset of Baylor, like Baylor's first loss of the year. Like, he, he was the guy that totally threw Baylor off offensively, in my opinion. Uh, I, I was so impressed with the way that he played in that game obviously gonna have to shoot it but six foot five can guard multiple positions exceptional on ball defender i really think he has a shot to get drafted like i, I wouldn't stun me and I, I think he's definitely at least a two-way guy
1: yeah uh, that that that's where i kind of have a pegged too it's just you can't have the the two for 10 games, two for 12 games and, and justify a, a higher pick. But if, if you, you roll it and say, okay, let, let's see what it looks like in the G league. Like maybe there's a chance there.
0: Yeah, no question. Uh, by the way, Baylor just won their first big 12 title in 71 years. So, uh, Mark Scarrett played a role in extending that process out, uh, and maybe not, uh, getting Baylor that title as quickly as they thought they would. But, uh, an incredibly impressive season from the Baylor Bears.
1: Yeah, no, they. Uh, I, I didn't know if I was allowed to react to have the TV on behind me, so I could totally focus in. But I saw they went into overtime. Butler filed out with 25 points. Uh, looked at least in the two minutes I watched more of the the Baylor that um, pre pre pause here than we saw them against Kansas. But credit to Kansas and, and Garrett for being able to throw them off their game.
0: Yeah, like I think I heard um I think I heard either Rob Doster, or Jeff Goodman on one of their podcasts say that they had eight guys that had
1: COVID. Yes, yep. That's a number I heard too.
0: Like unbelievable uh that they've been able to bounce back. I mean, and play a team in Morgantown in West Virginia that's awesome and win this game. So, shout out to Baylor. Uh Penny, do you have anything else you want to say here we're still a hashtag free britney podcast i know that
1: yeah Um, we're free britney forever that's 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 the truth i thought we'd get more buzz for the free britney thing but people must have zoned us out as, as usual
0: which like can you blame them
1: to be honest Uh, (laughs) after like an hour 10 it's like nope next station yeah putting on a i'm putting on a different radio
0: yeah i feel like it's reasonable uh next week we're gonna do conference tournament stuff and and we want to talk about james book knight and franz wagner at some point but you know obviously we just kind of ran out of topics or ran out of time to hit all of the topics that we wanted to today We'll, we'll be back next week for sure and talk more about that stuff uh penny Tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people where they can follow you. Just just give me all of the um, give me all the stuff. Well, all the geotracking
1: for. location and find my iPhone stuff. Yeah, uh, on Twitter, Matt underscore Penny. Thank you for the people that deal with our nonsense, deal with my nonsense. We're finally over 1,000 followers. We're well on our way to uh, a million. But, uh, yeah, it's a good start.
0: I don't know what I'll have coming this week at The Athletic yet. Uh, I've filed a few stories, but I'm not sure when they're running necessarily. Um, It's a good question. Uh, please just go back and read all the big board stuff, all the prospect rankings that I published last week. I would say that'll be good. Um, Please rate review, subscribe to the podcast as well. We've been getting some amazing reviews. I love it. Uh, thank you all for listening to the show. We'll be back next week, but until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye. Bye.